Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? I want everyone to break those chains that bind us. We are prisoners of our own making, bound head and foot by the chains, the chain, the 12-foot chain of dependent origination, which is our subject today. How are you, Kirk? I'm okay, but I thought we really don't do politics on this podcast. No, 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 no. It's not about that kind of chain. It's about, shall we say, a chain of our own making within us that is how we suffer through our own making. And when we break these chains, we are in fact free. This is, again, the 12-fold chain of dependent origination, sometimes also known as the 12-foot chain of cause and effect, but we will just call it the the chain. The chain. Is this like that Aretha Franklin song, Chain of Fools? Yes, because in our ignorance, we are the fools. Chain, chain, chain. You told me not to sing. No, I told you not to sing, but I love the lyrics. One of these mornings, that chain is going to break, but up until the day, I'm going to take all I can take. Oh, hey. Chain, chain, chain. Aretha Bodhisattva, man. Yes, she had, she had the word. Now, this is, again, one of the Buddha's original teachings. It's a Buddha basic. That's why we're here today. And uh, that's our next topic. Do we know that chains, the way we know them today, with links, existed back in the Buddha's time? It was the Iron Age. So I would imagine that being the Iron Age, one of the first things they would make with iron would be, I don't know, a chain? I would think they'd start with pointy sticks. No, they, but pointy sticks. But then when you capture the guy at the end, you needed something to, <laughs> to bind him with or, or your ox. It was a big agricultural time. You needed something to hold your ox in place. I bet you a, a chain was one of the first things you did in the Iron Age. But the, we're getting off the topic. Our topic is, is a, not a literal chain, but the chains within us. And this is the chain that we're born with. It's the chain that makes us human, but is also the chain of our suffering. So we're bound by these chains, but these chains are both around us and within us? Well, the around us and within us is that division of outside us and within us is the very cause of the suffering that results from oh, we're going to do train. that one again. Okay. Yes, because this continuing from our previous episode, you have to say, where did we leave our hero? We left our hero. He's in the Deer Park talking to his five friends, offering the most basic teachings about non-self and about the self being the cause of suffering because the self wants things, demands things, clings to things, is disappointed. If we don't have a self, no problem, no self, no problem, right? Got it. The chain is where the self comes from. And when we can reverse or break the chain, 
we return to the state of wholeness in which we're free. Simple as that. Still sounds a bit political, though. No, well... Workers of the world unite, free yourself from your chains. It's politics in the sense that politics is also about me and you, friend and enemy. All the divisions of the world come from this chain. All divisions of the world, all of them, including the fact that there's a you and everything you see is not you, come from this chain. So we have to get into today talking about how this chain works. Okay, so Buddhists like numbers, the Eightfold Path, the Twelvefold Chain, the 84 this, the 108 that. Why do we have 12 items in this chain, 12 links, 12 steps? Yeah, well, first off, like in many things in Buddhism, it apparently wasn't originally 12. It might have been six. It, then it went to eight. I don't know. There might have been 15 at some point. Then they went back to 12. <laughs> uh, and it may not actually have been one of the original, original teachings of the Buddha. Ah. There's some question about that. It may be something that was developed a bit later to explain the Buddha's first teachings about self and non-self. But it works really good. It's a really good idea that is literally 2,500 years ahead of its time. Because modern ideas about the development of the self in the infant correlate very well with what this is describing, as I hope everyone sees by the end of today's episode. Could it have just been that someone from the present had a time machine and went back and taught them all this stuff? Yeah, no. But... No, we a Buddhist. So uh, uh, I, I don't uh, think uh, we've ever mastered. Even the great Buddhist teachers have ever mastered mastered time travel. But uh, uh, I will say that they just had a understanding of human psychology, the creation of the sense of self through the senses that creates a basic division between the ears of what is me and not me. They describe the process very accurately, and modern uh, neurology and and understanding of infant development just happens to be very close to what we're 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 talking about today. Since there's no self, but there's a self, they had to define how the self got to be selfish, right? Being the first, you need a self, right? And then you need the self to say stuff is mine, right? And then it decides some of that stuff is what I want, and if I don't get it, uh, then I'm unhappy, or there's stuff that I I don't like, right? That's also separate from me, and I want to keep that away. That's what we were talking about last couple episodes. That's how the self has desire, desire for things that it wants, desires to keep things away, desire for things to be other than they are. But when you can return to the wholeness, and as things are, allowing everything to be, becoming the flow that is all things, no self, no problem. Okay, so we got 12 steps to cover here. Where do we start? Now, this is not the 12 steps of the AA, but it's kind of very similar because addiction is also this self's desire gone out of control. Right. Right? So addiction also comes from this. Anything that the self clings to and wants, whether it's a, a true addiction that's going to send you to the AA, or just the little things in life that we like and don't like, all come from this. And where should we start? We're going to start with, are you ready? The wholeness, which is also chaos. Didn't the Greeks talk about chaos? You're, you're a Greek man. 
well, I'm not a Greek man, but I've read some Plato and yeah, they talked about chaos, but see, this sounds like Genesis in the Bible. In the beginning, there was light or in the beginning, there was chaos. It sounds like we're starting with the Big Bang here. Perhaps that's not a coincidence, Mm. but let folks decide after I explain what it is. Okay. So you have this wholeness that is truly all of reality and it's wholeness when you are truly flowing as the whole. But but it can also be chaos in the sense that if you're first born into it, it is overwhelming and it is chaos. Let me let me explain with this analogy. That's why babies cry when they're first born. That's why babies cry. Babies don't have a strong sense of self, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Born into all the sensory stimulation suddenly, right? Which is the process we're discovering here through this explanation. Now, it's like the ocean. If the ocean is something that you can merge with, it's it, it, it's the peace, the wholeness. But if it's something you don't know how to swim, you start drowning in it. It's overwhelming, right? It's storming. Then it's chaos. It's the very same wholeness, but at the beginning when our ignorance, which is the initial sense of separation from this wholeness, creates our feeling apart from it, like the newborn baby, we would say it's more like uh, ignorance, chaos. Hmm. And when we return to it with a heart that merges with it, then the same chaos becomes just the flowing wholeness that is peaceful. That's the basic premise here. So how does the process start? Ask me that. How does the process start? Let us return to the womb, which is where we're going to also end up, but that's we'll get there at the end. Okay. Imagine, as you said, the newborn infant. The newborn infant has no sense of a me. What we're going to describe here is where that me sense comes from as the infant suddenly turns into the old geezers we are. That Well, the infant has no sense of self because the infant has been with the mother, and all of a sudden the infant is expelled from the mother's womb, and there is no longer that we, me, selfness between the infant and the mother, right? Isn't that part of this great mystery, too, how one being suddenly became two? Yep. This is, I'm telling you, this is all connected here. One well, I'll, I'll being, tell you how it starts, with a little bit of nookie in the backseat of a car. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Well, I want to I get into that. That's a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that before we actually get into the list of 12. There have been all kinds of interpretations placed on this by folks who tried to bring various Buddhist understandings into this. Some folks look at this process as the actual process of going from life to death to life again. And uh, they've really bent this into ways. I don't want to get into all the details today. I, I, folks can look into this if they wish. But the, the, the first four steps are the previous life. The middle steps are the current life. And the after, later four steps are the process to get to. I don't get that at all. I've looked at that so many times. It doesn't make any sense. Sometimes Occam's razor the simplest explanation is the easiest. This obviously is the process that's happening to us, not only as babies, but even right now as our sense of separate self arises. I don't think it has anything to do with future lives. Hmm. Okay, that's number one. Number two, another thing that baffled me about this from a long, for a long time is 
it's not exactly a straight line of things going one step to the next step to the next step to the next. Most of it is, but some of these things actually kind of happen, is the expression conjointedly at the same time? Concurrently? Uh, Concurrently, yes. They happen at the same time. It's all a process. It's not exactly things lead, one step always leads to the next, but sometimes several steps have to happen together. And sometimes there may be a little doubling back for reasons that the ancients might have actually thought that our, our brain kind of worked backwards, that things flowed backwards from not only from the eye to the brain, but from the brain to the center. It doesn't matter. It's basically the process of how we get stuff. So let's get back into it. Okay. Baby in the crib. Okay. Okay. Baby in the crib just has, let's say, a very mild or no sense of any independence from all these this data that is coming in without definition. It doesn't know something, sometimes something, some food is placed in the mouth, right? But otherwise, it's just flailing around. This is the second step from chaos. We come to action, which is literally the flailing around. This action, you could see the baby with the hands and the feet. It's getting a sense of space. It's getting a sense of something uh, that I'm here and there's an out there because every once in a while, let's say it bangs its hand against something that may be painful. Mm. And it goes, ouch, Mm. that's not good. That hurts. Baby's crying. Other times it feels a, a sense inside of hunger and it cries and something's put in the mouth. Oh, that's pleasant. I like that. Okay, so this action of flailing around and it brings it into we're going to see contact with things. But first, we're talking about the arising of basic consciousness, which is just a self-awareness. It's just aware of all these experiences. Okay, it's aware of I'm you see, I said I'm here. It's more like just here and ow and oh, good. Let's just limit it that. But it's also aware at that point of a division between the self and the other, in this not case, yet, the mother. Not yet. You're jumping okay, the gun. Okay. You're jumping okay. the gun. We're not there okay. yet. Okay? Okay. So you got this flailing, okay? And next is going to come this basic sense of there's a me here and there's something out over there. For example, there's this shadow that comes every once in a while, soon to be known as mama, let's say. That puts the food in my mouth. Oh, nice, warm shadow, whatever that is. Okay, and it's still banging its hand hand on the crib. Oh, still hurts. Gets uh, it wet itself. That's not pleasant, you know. So there is uh, automatically dividing into things. It's getting a sense of some separation. This is called nama rupa or name and form. It's inner world and the stuff out there. Yes, it's getting this basic sense of something inside and something's happening out there, that shadow that keeps sticking, that warm, soft, squeezy thing, which most of us for <laughs> decades later, we can't get over it, you know, in our <laughs> mouth, you know, you know. And uh, this is the basic division, Namarupa, the basic division of self and other. But where does the division come from? This is where we kind of take a, a side turn. Because we're going to discuss the process. Okay, so what's next? Well, we've gone through, just to refresh, chaos to basic action, 
to basic consciousness, right? To a basic division of me and something's out there. But where does that come from? Now we're kind of taking a sidestep to step number five, which is the six sense organs. Not five, six. I'll explain why that is. So we have, it's not about the sixth sense. It's not about ESP or that, you know, the, the, it's, it's, so the sixth sense organs are the ones that you and I know. We have eyes, we have ears, we have a nose, we have touch, we have taste. Did I name five? You named five. Can I guess what the sixth one is? Yes. The mind. Yes, it is the mind. It's our inner just kind of thinking uh, awareness of imagined things or our inner sense where we just feel uh, an inner world. Okay. It makes sense to consider the mind as a sense organ because the sense organs cause the body to react in some way. Mm -hmm. We react when we see something, we smell something, we taste, we can react to our thoughts. We can relax. We can get stressed just by our thoughts. So it makes sense that that is a sense organ. The basic principle is just really simple. Data is coming in the senses. Now, the ancients didn't think in terms of data, but they were really thinking in modern terms about data coming in. They said that there is a realm of outside something that is sensor sending in sensory information. Hmm. They s somehow were aware that it gets into us through the senses and then goes I, they may have thought the heart or the head. I don't know if they had exactly the mechanism, but they said it gets inside and is processed in the mind. And this is what happens. Neuroscience today, this is what we understand. There's a, this is beyond challenge. So hmm. how does this begin? The senses come in contact. The, step number six, we're already up to six. Six more to go after that. We're up to number six, contact. I'm going to use the... Fancy uh, Sanskrit words, if I may. We started with action karma. We've gone to consciousness vijnana. We're now we went to nama rupa, name and form, shadya yatana, and now we're at spasha contact. In other words, the the eye comes in contact with something outside, right? They didn't think about photons entering the eye, but the eye comes in contact. The fingers come in contact. The tongue comes in contact with something it tastes, right? And the mind inside comes in contact with its imagined world, you see. So it seems to me we've got two separate streams going on here. The first one is describing how we get to the point where we interpret data, and the second stream is talking about how we interpret the data. So they're not necessarily sequential. It's from the point that we are interpreting the data that we kind of switch tracks and go on to a different stream, right? Yeah, I, t I told you it's kind of like a footnote or it jumps sideways. It said where the baby's flailing around and gets this sensory experience and then it gets a basic sense of me. And now we're in the part that is explaining the details of the, how, the mechanism by which that happened. Yes. But, but now we're in the part that occurs throughout our lifetime, right? Right now. Whereas the first part, yeah, but the first part is just for the baby until the baby becomes conscious. And then the next part is constantly occurring every day, every moment. My friend, it's all occurring every moment, which we'll get to at the end. It, it, it's developing okay. in the baby, but it's okay. happening to us every moment of every day. Is this all going to be on the test? There is no test. Okay, good. Thank you. There is enlightenment at the end, though. Oh, oh, okay. Let's see how okay. we get there. All right. All right. So all right. go on. So anyway, you had the sense comes in contact, resulting in sensation, right? 
Neuroscience says the same. Eye comes in contact with the sight and it senses something. The fingers touch something. There's a sensation, sometimes also called perception. You know, there's there's a little division there. What is sensation? What is perception? even the experts, it's it's a, a perception or a sensation. Something is sensed or perceived. Can I try and guess the next one? Yes. I'm thinking that if we've got sensation, then all of a sudden we have desire. Since we can sense things, we start desiring what we want. Your wish is my command. Because yes, the next <laughs> is desire. Right. Now, also in sensation, now you got to understand when we're back in sensation, the ancients believe that these sensations are not just neutral. They're divided into pleasant or unpleasant sensations. This is very important. It's not just raw sensations. Some are neutral, you know, but, oh, breast and mouth. Very good. Very good. <laughs> very good. Really, very good. Boiling water. Not so good. Not so good. Sticking your hand on hot stove. Not good. Okay. Yeah. So sensations are neutral or good or bad. Which leads now, now we're jumping back into the process again. The somehow inner me looking at the not me going, oh, I like that. I want that. I don't like that. I want that that goes away. Yes, desire, which is, as we heard in Buddhism, the root of all suffering. Because when you desire things that you don't get, it's disappointment. When you get things that you don't want, it's also literally a pain in the neck or worse, desire. We suddenly have a self that is looking at the not self and saying, I want the world to be a certain way or not a certain way. And even if it gets what it wants, you know, you can be, I'm just watching a wonderful uh, miniseries called Dope Sick about OxyContin. Have you seen this? No. It's about the scandal about uh, 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 Purdue Pharmaceuticals, the Sackler family. They were selling OxyContin, which is this drug to treat pain. It became a major lawsuit in the United States, many other places around the world, because it did eliminate people's physical pain at 10 milligrams. But then they needed 20 and 40 and 80 milligrams. And even doctors were getting addicted and people were breaking into pharmacies to get this stuff. You see, desire, getting what you want, is not good if it runs out of control and you can't get enough desire. You always want more, more, more. Desire leads to the 12-step program at the AA, you see. <laughs> you see. So anyway, here we are, desire, okay? What's next? Number nine is what we were just talking about, actually, upadana. Oh, upadana, of course, yeah. Uh, grasping. Yeah. Upadana, yes, yeah. Grasping, grasping or clinging. That's what we were just talking about. Desire is necessary for us to live. I need to, I still want food put in my mouth every day. Yes. Okay. I still want to keep my hand off the hot stove. It's necessary to live. If you have someone who doesn't feel any pain when they put their hand on a hot stove, they have a problem. But the grasping, the attachment to more, 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 I want my 80 milligrams, my 160 milligrams. I want more food, more food, more food, more sex, more money, right? The grasping is the problem because it now has turned the self into step number 10, possession. You see, there's not only an I. Yeah, that sounds like a big one here. I'm not talking about possession like the Catholic Church, like with the exorcist, but it is the same possession of the devil being in you. 
because I thought they didn't really have devils in Buddhism. No, no, no. Well, that's another that's another episode. Yes, they do. But, then, <laughs> but I'm talking about when you have a me and it turns into mine, and it's mine, and I don't want to lose it, or I want that thing that's not mine to be mine. The sense of mine that comes from self is possession, which came from grasping, which came from desire. So this is when kids get to be about one or two years old and they have tantrums. It's when 60-year-old men like you and me don't get what we want and I get <laughs> tantrums. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't actually have tantrums, but I think it's more obvious in a young child because they have no self-control and it's just the raw emotion that's being expressed when that happens. No, that's that's exactly right. And uh, hopefully as we get older, we learn to control it more. But I want to say, I think we get to... Con- we, we're still the same child inside, yeah, and that's part of the lesson here. And 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 we're still clinging to things. Now, again, getting things. The Buddha needed to eat every day. The Buddha needed a warm place to sleep. The Buddha needed, uh, you know, basic comforts in life too. He needed oxygen to breathe. So to to have a needs is not the problem. To be attached to excess needs and to be clinging to them and to be so disappointed. Oh, my life is worthless. I didn't get what I want or, or this thing that's, uh, I, I don't have the health I want, or I don't have the money I want. This is the cause of suffering. If you can accept what is, you see, you're free. Now, the big thing we want is to be alive and to stay that way. You agree? That's pretty basic though, isn't it? It is. But in Buddhism, it's actually also something you can kind of be free from. Now, let me explain where the process comes from, okay? Oh, we're going to that bit now about nirvana, enlightenment, right? Be free from being alive? We're going to get there. That's well, what, what do you think the whole point of this podcast is, Kirk? Of okay, course. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Go on. Okay, so you had me and mine. The first thing the baby thinks of, which I, I'm going to say, I don't think my cat thinks of this. I mean, I'm going to just suppose this, but... I have my life, which I was born. I think the cat, just to give you an example of what I think, I think cats and maybe animals just don't think that there was a time they weren't there. They're just here. Yeah. You know, we think I have my life. Ooh, and I'm not everything else. And this life I have is all I am because I'm not everything else. Cutting to the end of the story. Buddhists realize we are everything else. So the life of everything, that means all reality, is our life too. But no, no, this is not what we're thinking. We're thinking, I'm this little thing inside here, in this, in the crib, in the body, right? I have my birth. There was a time before I was born. And now I'm here, right? That's why Buddhists talk about this return to the, the wholeness as return to your original face before your parents were born your true self. The man, or we, we, we that's a little sexist, we, we don't say that anymore. The being coming in and out of your senses without rank. We use all these expressions to say that there is some basic fundamental, shall we say, being that is not limited to the little self here, but is also everything out there and in, is, is, is the same. But when we think it's just me here, who's not everything out there, we think my life, my birth, which leads to number 12, 
death? Well, you got a lot of suffering before you get to death, but that's the yeah. big one. Because you got sickness, old age, and death. Yes. All Sick- lumped together. Yeah, plus all the other things like, oh, I just you know sat on a thumbtack, or I got to pay taxes, <laughs> or I got a flat tire, and all the other things uh, of life. Right. But it's, it is, the big ones are, if you have my birth, oh, I'm alive, I have a birth. I could lose it, plus I could get sick. I don't want to be sick. I get old. I die. That is the chain. So to break this chain, all we've got to do is just understand that we are everything, right? Easier said than done, my friend. Do I win the brass ring for that? Uh, well, again, it's it's not just grabbing a brass ring. It's kind of actually the opposite of grabbing the desired brass ring. When we sit Zazen and do our other Buddhist practice, we reverse this chain. I, I want to say not cut the chain so much, let it go. For example, all the things we desire. When we sit Zazen, Buddhist meditation, and put down the desire, and our little self that's clinging, 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 somehow softens that clinging. And then maybe we're sitting, and the hard border between ourself and the rest of the world somehow softens or fades away. Guess what? The process is reversed. So we cast off the chain when we're doing that. We cast off the chain, yes. And we return back to the original wholeness, which in this case is sometimes actually, you know, we, we, get, we came from the womb. For one reason or another, it's also called return to the Buddha womb. It's the Buddha womb, but it's the, also just the wholeness that we return to where there can be no suffering because there is no separation, because there is no clinging self, because we're just feeling the wholeness and we are free. But this is something we need to do even right now. So we can't just intellectually understand this. We have to no. We have to manifest this in our lives. We have to taste it. Uh, not tasting like through the senses, like really understand this in our bones and experience it. Yes. And Buddhist practice, including meditation and many other things that folks do, sometimes they will chant. Uh, uh, we're rolling beads. They get that same thing. Uh, they the, everything desire drops away. A great peace and wholeness. Yes, all of that comes. And I'm going to say even true. I think this is the, why we have the oxycontin addiction and these other things. People take these drugs because it hits the part of the brain that creates this desire and friction. And for a moment, they get this incredible wholeness, bliss, and peace. The difference is. Those folks are not equipped to handle it. And it's overwhelming. Maybe it's too strong. And they run to it as a place to escape from this life. Uh, Part of our practice, again, is to realize this even while we're still living in this world in the chain. And right now, man, we're still in the chain. Ask me how. How come we're still in the chain? Right now, your sense of self is constantly, every second, emerging from the chaos as the data enters your senses. And moment by moment, you get a sense of me, which is not me because of the sensations which are processed in the body as pleasant or not pleasant, which you say, oh, I want this. I want this podcast to go well. 
I don't want the microphone not to work as we, we had today, <laughs> too, right? All these things. So moment by moment by moment, we're, we're doing, this is not just when we're infants. This is happening right now. And right now, we fear, we sense, here's me and I'm, I'm alive and, oh, I want to stay that way, you know? Every day, at least 12 times, I think, oh my gosh, I, I hope I stay alive for another day. But our practice can be to let that all go. And even death, because again, when we flow and allow and are the wholeness, the wave rises, the wave sinks, but we flow on and on. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.